Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Not only are some people going to get set free from this, but I believe it's going to equip many for the work of the ministry. Remember, Jesus said the work of the ministry is very simple. It's not to go and tell sinners that one day we'll make heaven and then you'll be set free. The work of the ministry is that we're to preach the gospel. And Jesus said these signs will follow them who believe. Mark 16 and verses 17 through 20. The first sign that's going to follow the believer is they shall cast out devils and so at large what you're seeing now in the world today and especially in western culture and western society and in the western church is that there are people that are unequipped for this work of ministry this very integral very important part of the ministry just as much as we're called to lay hands on the sick just as much as we're called to, to speak in tongues just as much as we're called to preach the gospel we're called to cast out demons but how many of you know and I've said this many times if you're a student of this broadcast you understand I've said this several times that if you are not if you don't know it or understand it from the word of God if you're deficient in your understanding of God's uh, God's word uh, pertaining to a specific topic you're going to suffer in that area greatly you're going to suffer the devil will gladly take advantage of people that are ignorant 2 Corinthians 2.11 says lest Satan should take advantage of us we are not ignorant of his devices so if you're ignorant of demonology if you're ignorant of demonic power if you're ignorant of Satan's tactics and schemes you're going to be taken advantage of you're going to be slapped around and life is going to be a drudgery rather than a, a, a life worth living. And Jesus said that in John 10, 10, the gospel in one verse, T.L. Osborne used to say that the thief, the devil does come to steal. He does come to destroy. He does come to kill. But Jesus said, I have come so that you might have life and have life more abundantly. God wants you to live an abundant life. He wants you to enjoy abundant life. He doesn't want you to fall short or come short in any area thanks be unto God who always leads us to triumph in all things by Christ Jesus so it's very important to study the full counsel of the world the word so that we're not taken advantage of in any area the Bible says Paul's ministry Paul said in Acts 20 he said I didn't keep back anything that was helpful to you I didn't shrink back from preaching anything that would be profitable to you I didn't hold back even though I know it would offend some even though I know it would maybe even uh, prevent me from preaching in certain places even if some ministers would have blacklisted me and put me on some YouTube expose I, Paul said I will not shrink back because there are people that are bound there are people you know it's nice to have a nice cute little uh, 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 suburb church where everybody comes in and puts on a fake smile and has a nice big you know 14 inch study Bible in their in their hand and everybody loves to play like everything's flowers and dandelions but if you understand that people are bound they go back home and they put that Bible in their car where they connect collect it the next week and in their home there's strife in their home they're unsure of their marriage because they're suspecting adultery in their home their children are backsliding in their home it looks like chaos has hit and so people you can put up a, a smile all you want but until you face the facts until you start to confront 
one, the devil, he'll continue to conquer you. You have to confront the devil before he conquers you. You can't just leave it up to time. Well, just hopefully time. No, because you have to understand life is spiritual. Life is ultimately spiritual. It's not natural. Everything in life has a spiritual root to it. And so when there's things in life that it seems like you cannot beat past, things in life where you, it seems like you can't break free from it, things in life that you just, are, like, for example, there's some people who have sickness and it seems like doctors don't even know what's wrong with them, but there's something wrong with them they're they're feeling the symptoms they're suffering the pain but the doctors can't diagnose that they can't pinpoint a thing their finger on it what do you think that is do you think that's natural no it's because there's a spiritual root to that thing there's something called a spirit of infirmity i was just preaching in um, harrisburg pennsylvania and there was a lady that drove two hours to be in that meeting and she came up i preached on healing that night I ended up calling her out of the, the audience and began to just break a spirit of infirmity that's been on her body. Well, I had no idea who she was. I never met her in my life. I, I found out later she watches the broadcast, but she had come to that meeting because she was suffering something that the doctor said was incurable. That it, uh, her dad almost died of it like two years ago. And I forget what it's called. I think it's called thassalemia or something like that, where your blood platelets are, are, are corbed and they can't absorb iron. They, they, so they have s s like excessive iron deficiency and it's just not a life to live. Well, lo and behold, when I, you know, the Lord had spoke to her two, two or three weeks prior for her be, uh, before that, that encounter at that altar that she had a spirit of infirmity that had to be dealt with and the doctors wouldn't be able to help her so that she'd have to get to the spiritual root of it. So she comes, I call her out and immediately I feel in my spirit there's a spirit of infirmity. I break that thing off her life. She, if she got up too quick, she'd black out, sometimes faint she couldn't function properly well after that one encounter that thing broke its hold off her life and she 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 met up with me the next week i was in scranton pennsylvania she made the drive again two and a half hours something two hours drive and she came to tell me the testimony ever since that night she hasn't had any black spells or like you know uh dizzy spells she hasn't had any blackouts she hasn't had any fainting spells she hasn't had any symptoms of that thing because life is spiritual and if the devil can deceive you into thinking that you're just going through a normal lot in life, you're going to suffer at his hands. He's going to take advantage of you. He's going to manipulate you and he's going to control you. But when light starts to come on you, where where, where you understand that there's a devil out there who seeks to prowl and roar and, and, and take advantage, devour those whom he may devour, but the Bible doesn't say that we are to live subject to him, that we're just to like roll over and play dead and hope he doesn't doesn't notice you the bible says very clearly but resist him stand firm in the faith and he will flee and that's going to be your story today so this is just a little brief introduction i want you to share this broadcast please share this broadcast get this out to as many people as possible this is a broadcast that is going to help a lot of people today i was praying before today is going to be a, a day of mass destruction for the work of hell in people's life. Today is going to be a mass destruction of the of darkness's ploys and schemes over people's lives. Today is going to be a day of mass deliverance for the people of God and 
for, 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 for an army to be equipped and rise up, to be deliverers in their generation, in their homes, in their schools, and wherever they would be, wherever their two feet would stand, in Jesus' name. So share this. You are leaving this place as a weapon of mass destruction in the hands of God. We've heard it before, spiritual snipers, God's navy seals for this end time harvest. The, I mean, more than ever. Paul said it very clearly. The Spirit explicitly says in the last days, there will be many that depart from the faith they'll give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons that's showing you people once in the faith people that once were on fire for God departing from the faith and now giving heed to seducing spirits being demonically manipulated being demonized by foreign unclean spirits that are taking advantage of their life and ripping them of any ability to attain to the high destiny God has for them Paul said in the last days, demonic activity would rise. In the last days, there'd be more spiritual activity, demonic networking that hits the earth than any other time in history. So if there was ever a time, Lester Sumrall said it. I mean, if you, if you study his, his, his teachings on this on YouTube, he said it in the last days, there's going to be great, great manifestations of demons on the earth. There's going to be, a, you know, the Bible says in Revelation 12, the devil has been cast down to the earth having great wrath, knowing that he has but a short time. The enemy understands that his time is a ticking. He understands that the time is running up, that the last few sands of uh, uh, grain of signs are trickling through the hourglass of time, and the, the show's about to close up. So he's launching his best efforts. He's launching his, launching his deepest attack. He's launching his most violent attack against humanity. And what do we have in Western society is people that shy away from talking about this because they're afraid that they'll be labeled as charismatics. They'll be labeled as, as weirdos. They'll be labeled as, as, um, as, as, as people that are just extravagant. But I'm going to tell you, this is in the Bible, and we're going to study it today. This isn't something that just showed up in the last 200 years as the you know, or in the last hundred years, this is a charismatic doctrine. It's not really found. No, this is found throughout history. This is found in the scriptures. Jesus dealt with demons. Jesus never in, uh, ignored demons. He identified demons. He cast out demons. Jesus taught that demons were real. He spoke most, more about demons than he did about angels. And so if we are ignorant of this, we're going to greatly miss out on what God wants to do through us here on this earth. And I want to repeat it. Jesus said, in my name those who believe will cast out devils it's not an option for a child of God it's not something that if we feel like doing it we should do it the same commission that says you should preach you should share your faith you should tell people about Jesus you should soul win also says I'm going to equip you with power so that once once people are intrigued just like Philip Philip in Acts chapter 8 he went down to Samaria he preached Christ to the people but notice how when he preached Christ to the people demons began to manifest and they came out of people as they were shrieking and crying out and many that were sick and many that were taken with palsy were healed and there was great joy in that city so Philip obviously took Mark 16 seriously when he when Jesus said when you preach these signs are going to follow you the gospel isn't even fully preached until you see these signs following you and there are people there is a bruised hurt battered 
sign dying shattered humanity that needs to hear about this power that is not just in the heavens and unaccessible it's a power that God has made available to the modern believer the New Testament believer to set a generation free from the clutches of the devil God is raising you up to set people free from the clutches of the devil God is raising you up to cast out demons the word cast out is literally to expel to boot out to throw out with force God does not want you to tolerate these things some of you have children have children that, that, that the enemy has had an attack on their lives they all of a sudden they don't want to eat anymore and and you'll, you you've done everything you've could there's there's an evil spirit at work trying to to disrupt that child's destiny trying to strip that child of joy trying to make life a, a misery for that child and it needs to be dealt with you can't just ignore these things you got to turn the TV on off and begin to take up your authority as the priest of the home and say not in my house as for me in my house we're going to serve the Lord the devil we're not giving any spot not one square foot of this home belongs to Satan everything that belongs to my life anything that pertains to me has the registered trademark of heaven on it and anything that bears hell's trademark has to leave has to leave has to be cast out has to be expelled you can set up an environment of freedom in your home where not only are you free and your people are free but people that come to, to your house they start to sense they start to sense there's something different about this home and your house will be called the house of deliverance do you know that that's what the early church was ananias not ananias um what's it ananias and not sapphira Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila had a church in their home. They had a, they had a home that if anybody needed help, they, they were equipped thoroughly to deal with the situation on hand. I want you to be equipped that if anyone in your neighborhood needs help, if anyone in your family needs help, if anybody in your school needs help, you don't have to just, oh, we'll keep you in prayer. No, I've got keys from the kingdom of heaven and I've been given an authority in the name of Jesus to bind at will and to loose at will, to cast out and then to pour in the Holy Ghost in everyone that, that desires it. God's going to raise you up to do that in the name of Jesus. Demons are real. And every believer can become a devil master overnight once he becomes infected with this divine truth. Once you become uh, in, intoxicated by this divine truth. You want to know why I don't fear demons? Well, I, mean, I mean, I hear it all the time. Pastors that talk about, oh, they sound like they're, you know, they've, they've got the devil on the run and the only problem is, is they're the one he's running after. So there's a lot of pastors that they don't know a, a, a squat about their authority in the, in the gospel, their authority as, as New Testament believers. And so I get around them and they talk about how you know how hard it's been in this region. You know, we've been having a hard time gaining breakthrough. There's a real spirit of this and a spirit of that. I don't see that talk happening in the early church. I don't see Peter and John saying, oh, you know, I heard what happened at Samaria, but you know what? That devil, he's going to come back and he's going to definitely be angry and furious about, so we should just stay. No, the Bible says they went to Samaria and made sure that the believers that just got free were filled with the Holy Ghost. And then Samaria was never the, never the same ever since that change. So you don't see this inferiority complex that the believers had when 
when referencing the devil. There's never even prayer made. In the, old, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, there's not one prayer of the early church gathering together and praying about the devil, praying that the devil left them alone, praying that God would bind the devil. They don't do that. You go to some Pentecostal churches, and it's like every three minutes, there's a devil being bound. We bind the spirit of this. And then it's like, we also bind the spirit of distraction. We spy, And it's like every three minutes, there's a new spirit they're having to bind. You have to see yourself that we're not, <laughs> we're, the devil's not that slippery. It's not like once you bind him, once he slips out and then we have to bind him again where you are because you're first john 4 4 says you do not fear evil spirits little children because greater is he that lives in you than he that's in the world when you understand the greater one lives in you that you don't you're that the devil's no match for you it's not like he's He's on a, on a step higher because he's a spirit being and we're still in the natural, so we're a step lower. But with God's help, you know, we can finally have an even match. No, it's not an even match. It's not equal ground. We're far above, seated in heavenly places, and he's far beneath, under our feet. And wherever we step down, it deals another head-crushing blow to his head. I'm telling you, if you'll get this revelation in you, you won't walk around confused, hoping the devil doesn't march your way. You'll walk around where the devils will see something different in your eye, and they're going to hope you don't come their way. Because where your two feet stand, that marks the end of their destruction on the people that they're, they're, they're trying to lay claim of. So I want to read this. I want you to write that in the, in the comment section. Because of Christ, I'm a devil master. I can, you can master the devil. The scripture gives you mastery over the devil. Not to tolerate him, not to endure him, not to get through it, not to just, you know, make it through. The devil is very clearly situated under your feet if you're a New Testament believer. Colossians 2.14 says that Christ has disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public show, a humiliation of hell, having triumphed over the devil openly at the cross. Jesus paraded Satan. After he crushed Satan's head, he took his scrawny little neck and then brought him up and paraded him before heaven, paraded him before earth, and paraded him before hell. And he said to the devils, all the demons, this is your master. This is what I've done to him. And he paraded him like an old nation. A, a king would parade their prisoners of war as they entered into the main city having won the victory. And the people would throw tomatoes at them. That's what would happen when Rome would gain a, war, uh, a victory in war. And they'd return back to war to Rome, the centurions and the soldiers and the legionnaires, they would get the tomatoes and people would take like buckets of pea and they would throw it on the people to like really like, you know, add, add, add fuel to the fire. They, they really shamed them. Well, Jesus took the devil and paraded him and now it's our opportunity. Now that we, before Christ rose from the dead, you look at the Old Testament. There's no instance of demon, demons being cast out. There's no instance of people exercising dominion over devils in the Old Testament because they didn't legally have dominion over devils in the Old Testament. But now in this new covenant, because of the blood of Jesus, because we've been born again, because we've been delivered from the powers of darkness and delivered into the kingdom of light, we now have dominion over devils, over Satan himself. If we have dominion over Satan, then how much more dominion do you suppose we have over his underlings who are under him, who don't carry the same power or authority as Satan himself carried? And so now in this new covenant, we have, we have Jesus taking his scrawny little neck and parading him, and it's our time to throw tomatoes. It's our time to throw buckets of pee, obviously symbolically. 
on him and to make sure that from now until Jesus comes, he has the worst days. You want to know why? That the enemy can't even set up that end time tribulation, that end time disaster he wants to bring on. One world leader, one world political figure, one world government, one world money system. Because the Bible says there is one who restrains the Antichrist from rising up and taking his position on the earth. That restrainer is you and that restrainer is me. It's the Holy Spirit in his church. The devil doesn't get to do anything he wants to do because we are restraining force. Because, you know, if the Antichrist were to rise up now, I would find out where his ugly head is and I'd cast the devil out of him and that would be the end of it. So he has to actually wait until we're gone until now until the rapture with the church of the living god is not going to have days of diminishing glory we're all for the days of wigglesworth no from now to the rapture the church is going to have the days of dominion days of glory days of power the bible says in the day of thy power O god thine enemy shall be submissive unto you god's power in his church causes the enemies around us to submit themselves to submit their plans and to submit their agenda to to the church so that they can't do whatever they want to do. And then when the church is gone, when the rapture happens, that's when you're going to see the Antichrist rise up and any, you know, the world's on their, they're on their own. Nothing, we, nothing they can do after that. So I want to go into how to cast out demons today, mainly because people need deliverance. Philosophy can't set people free. You can't teach people, you know, as much as I'm Pentecostal and as much as I believe in, in, um, and I'm word of faith as much as I believe in, in just, you know, preaching the word to some people and, and getting them taught from the word of God. So, and, and that's what we're doing. We're teaching from the word of God. There's some people that they're not even in the right mind. They can't even receive a word. They can't even, they can't even intelligibly receive what you're saying. They can't even put it. There's some people that, that have literally lost their brains. And you, you can't counsel demons out of people. You can't lay your hands on them and just say, Father, we just pray peace on them. They're going to break your hand. You have to come to a point where you are equipped with dynamite from on high and authority because of your revelation from the word where you can just by the mention of the name of Jesus when people come to you and you can identify they're, they're being tormented by demons you can cast that thing out you you can't even counsel people some people because they're they're so messed up in their brains because of years of drug abuse and alcohol you know some of them are even I've, I've seen people come to our meetings that are intoxicated and you can't they're drunk what are you gonna do they're not but then all of a sudden, we take authority over that spirit, they sober up, and then they get saved, and then get baptized in the Holy Spirit. So there's, there's a time to preach pe to people and teach people how to work. But there's other time, look at Mark 5. Did Jesus try and teach the gathering demoniac how to be delivered? How, you know, did he go through the six steps? No, he just delivered the man. He used his authority and delivered the man. So I want, I, I want you to leave this broadcast. My aim, my goal, this is going to be a teaching broadcast, is that you would leave this broadcast thoroughly equipped for the good work of the ministry because people need deliverance. Because psychiatry is going to fail to provide people with the help that they need. You can't medicate demons. You can't throw medication at them. People with schizophrenia, people with multiple split personality that are speaking different voices. What are you going to do? You know what medication does? It, it totally, it, it like short circuits the body so that the demon, because remember, demons are spirits. 
and they seek corporality. They're seeking a body. They want to manifest. They want to express their hatred towards humanity. But the way they do that is by infesting and depositing their spirit into a human vessel. And without a human vessel, they cannot properly express themselves. And they seek human beings up above all. Because human beings are created in God's image and more than animals, animals can speak, so they can't express themselves through animals the way they want to express themselves. So they seek human beings. They seek people created in the image of God because they understand humans have the greatest, you know, we have the greatest willpower. We have the, the, the greatest ability to innovate, to create, the greatest ability to impact this world. I mean, look at what mankind has been able to develop with cities and all that. You don't see dolphins making cities. So they seek the corporality of human beings who have been created in the image of God. They also hate humans because God created man in his own image. God created man in his own image. And so the closest they'll ever be to what their aim was in heaven, Jesus, Jesus said it. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Why did he fall from heaven like lightning? Because he sought to usurp the throne of God and to establish, establish himself as God himself. George Moore, you're not doing this on this broadcast. You do this every single time. Play for me. We've prayed for you. We've led you to Christ. Please listen. I love you, George, and we're going we're gonna to help you, but you need to listen because on the last few broadcasts, you've just distracted everybody. So please listen. Satan got his rear end thrown out of heaven because of one thing. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to, to, to be like God and sit as God in the throne of God. But what do you... So, so demons seek to inhabit human beings because that's the closest they'll ever be to being like God. It's the closest they'll ever be to having a God-like nature, a God-like um, presence around them. Because they were booted out of the presence of God. And so they seek to, 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 to inhabit and dwell in human vessels. So that they can do and ultimately accomplish their purpose. Which is to ravage mankind, destroy mankind, destroy other people's lives. Why do you think? Look at a girl, a woman like Margaret Sanker. Margaret Sanker who is uh, the founder of Planned Parenthood, an abortion clinic that has destroyed over 55 or 60 million babies in the womb since its inception. Well, why do you think that lady was able to accomplish that? She wasn't operating by human power. She wasn't operating, obviously, not by God's power. You see, there are three powers in life. There is God's power. There is demonic power. And then there's human power. Human power is neutral. It's like a wire. You have to plug, and a wire has neutral power. It has the power to filter and fil uh, to bring electricity into an appliance so that the appliance can function, but that wire has to be plugged in and branched in to a socket. We are that neutral power. We can either branch ourselves into the socket that contains God's power that is going to enable us to help mankind, enable us to build people up, enable us to minister to the family of, human, uh, of humanity, the family of humanity, or you can use your life to branch in, to branch in 
to demonic power, to Satan's power, where the devil will manipulate and control you and use you to affect humanity in a negative standpoint, in a negative stance. That's what you saw with Margaret Sanker. She was a neutral power. She branched into satanic powers, and the devil, through her, successfully established Planned Parenthood clinics around the world and around America predominantly to rip babies out of the womb and, and destroy, abort abort children, and in doing that, abort destinies that God had for those children. That wasn't natural. Nobody. I mean, you look at Mussolini. Look at Adolf Hitler. Look at uh, Joseph Stalin. The, the atrocities that they committed against mankind. Genghis Khan. You look at some people on the earth today, leaders that the media, mainstream media, won't tell you about. But there's, there's genocides going on right now. The Uyghur people in China. In the millions are being slaughtered by President Xi of China. Do you think that's just a nat That's not human hatred. That's not human uh, anger. That's not a human plan. Mankind is desperately evil and sick and wicked. But it takes an, a supernatural hatred, a supernatural wickedness, a supernatural uh, spirit of murder to commit those atrocities. And so when those people partner with hell, the devil, just like God needs people to be filled with his spirit, to, to impact this generation, to preach the gospel. Angels don't preach the gospel because angels are spirits. They're ministering spirits sent forth to, to what? To help those who shall be heirs of salvation. Angels cannot preach the gospel. Demons cannot fulfill Satan's plans for our generation until they indwell a human vessel. God cannot fulfill his plan for our generation until his spirit indwells a human vessel. Now are you seeing it? Now are you seeing it? So anytime, I mean you've never seen, I, I don't know about you, I've been alive for 29 years now, and I've never seen a drug addict on the side of the road Injecting his veins with heroin and a devil making him do it all. A physical devil. Someone actually like, i never seen a, a horn, like uh, two horns and, and a red tail. Satan walking around selling drugs to people. You don't see that because that's not how he operates. You don't see uh, demons taking people captive and kidnapping little children and girls and selling them into sex slavery. You don't see actual physical demons doing that. What do they do? They do it through people. They seek to accomplish their purpose and the way they do that is by manipulating demonic spirits to get the work uh, by manipulating human people human bodies human vessels to get their work done no wonder paul told timothy if you'll cleanse yourself from these things if you'll cleanse yourself from from immorality if you'll cleanse yourself from youthful lust you will be to god a special vessel of honor god is seeking vessels and the enemy is seeking vessels and you get to decide who, uh, you know, what power works through you by what you branch into. That's why I make sure that my child is branched in to Holy Ghost meetings because from a young age, he's going to get a taste of the power of God and God is going to use him mightily. He'll get baptized in the Holy Ghost. only two now, but he'll get baptized in the Holy Ghost uh, not too long from now. He'll get filled with the Spirit. He'll have a hatred for lawlessness and a love for righteousness and God will anoint him with oil from heaven, the anointing of God, to get uh, to, 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 for him to be used for whatever God's purpose is for his life. But then you have some 
families, the child didn't have that upbringing. Had a father that was a drunk. You know, I was in Makwasagaygan not too long ago in, in December of 2019. In, it's a First Nation area in northern Saskatchewan. And in that crusade we did for one, for one week, we went because there was an a, a epidemic. There were so many people and young kids killing themselves. Killing themselves, attempting suicide, and some of them ended up committing suicide. I think in the month before we got there, there were 14 suicide attempts in a town of 1,000. That's a lot of people. And then four of them ended up actually killing themselves. The youngest one was seven years old. A seven-year-old girl ended up killing herself. What do you think causes a seven-year-old to do that? Well, you find out. The, you know, they were either molested by their parents. They were either... You know, uh, had, had a, a father or a mother that was an alcoholic or a drug addict and would come home in raging fits and beat them up. And so through that, Satan had room to deposit something on their inside that when that thing is not, not taken care of, if it's not uprooted, it grows and it grows. And then it begins to manifest itself in suicidal thoughts. And then if those suicidal thoughts, if there's no power to take authority over those things, it ends up it ends up accomplishing its purpose. It's a demon of suicide. Why, do you, why else would a seven-year-old want to kill themselves? What could possibly cause a seven-year-old to kill themselves? I mean, outside of, of, of a supernatural, supernatural phenomenon, outside of, a, of, a, of a, a, a foreign, unclean, strange entity at work in that child's life. And so if the church doesn't rise up, so when I started hearing about this, did I just like, oh, we'll keep them in prayer and we'll just pray and fast? No, you can pray and fast all you want. Praying and fasting is not a substitute with actually expelling darkness through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what did we do? We went and preached the gospel. We went and told the people that Jesus Christ's blood, you know, people come to me, I have generational curse. I have a generational curse. It's passed down through my great-grandfather and all that. When that... Sure, maybe they opened themselves up to curses and their lives were a mess. But understand this. When you got saved, the, the generational curse turns to a generational blessing. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ. And don't ever tell me it takes more than the blood. That's heresy. Don't ever tell me it takes more than the blood to set people free. Just an encounter with that blood. Just an, an, an awareness of what that blood meant for you and what it meant for me is more than enough power to blast off any generational curse, any satanic curse, any trouble that the enemy has sent to torment your life. The blood of Jesus is more than enough power. So what did I do? I preached the blood through that week. And I had kids get saved. We went to the schools. We had 187 people saved in a town of 1,000. And since that time, I, I think there's only been one suicide. And that was two years ago. And the month I got there, there were 14 suicide attempts. And since that time, two years ago, there's only been one suicide. That's all I know of from the pastor that I've been in touch with. The gospel works and the gospel continues to work. That's why we're preaching this. We don't wish the devil away. We don't hope for him to leave us alone. We take authority and beat his scrawny behind out of regions, out of homes, out of provinces, out of states, and out of nations. And God is going to raise you up from this broadcast to do it in the name of Jesus Christ. If you believe that, I want you to write out in the, in the comment, section, comment section, amen.
The devil's best defense has been in successfully deluding mankind into thinking he doesn't really exist. Because if you don't think something exists, that's why psychology can't deal with demon spirits. That's why, what do they do? They medicate the heck out of them and throw them into mental institutions. Because if the body is medicated to the point where it can't even function, the demon can't manifest anything. There was a, a lady called Clarita Villanueva. She was from the Philippines, 1953. She grew up as a slave girl. She was sold into slavery, I think, when she was like seven or eight years old. And was a prostitute for all those years, up until she was 16 years old. And she was possessed by spirits. She was fully demonized, fully controlled by demon spirits. She actually would see uh, two demons. One was like this 10-foot demon that was all black, had hairy, hairy face, curly hairs on the head, curly hairs all over the chest, and would walk around. And then there was another one that was like two or three feet that looked the same. And they would come and bite her and, and, and control her, make her to do things she didn't want to do, or at least try and persuade her to do things she didn't want to do. And um, Lester Sumrall, who I've, I've mentioned before, he was, want, he was just like taking down notes, reading his Bible, and he had the radio on in his study. And he started to hear of this, they, they called her a vampire girl. She had invisible bites that would appear on her arm. And then under the bites, there'd be like saliva and there'd be all kinds of like, there'd be blood and there would be strain on her skin and nobody would be around her. She'd, and she would sometimes have her arms tied down with doctors observing her and all of a sudden bites would come. And even the doctor who was overseeing her case, who was, I don't think he was a believer, I think he was an atheist and he was strong. Again, he was, his position was against demon power. They didn't, they, they didn't exist. Well, when he saw this, he had to recant his position. He, he just said, I kept quiet and I just examined. But inside my heart, I was troubled because I realized everything I had believed and everything I studied was just not so. Because psychology deals with the mind, the psyche of man. And it deals with the physiological effect of the mind. But there's, man is not primarily a soul and man is not primarily a body. Man is a spirit being that has, that, that has a soul and lives in a body. Your soul is your mind. Your soul is your mental faculty. It's where your emotions live. It's where your ability to decide and to think and discern and to understand lives. Your body is your, the, what you see. You can't see your mind, but you can see your body. Your body is... Controlled by what goes on in your mind. And your mind is going to receive transmissions from your spirit. But you're primarily a spirit being. God is spirit. And the Bible says he's created us in his image. A man has a spirit, soul, and a body. We can see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Paul says, Now I pray that the God of peace will himself in, uh, sanctify you entirely and preserve your spirit, soul, and body complete until the day of Jesus Christ. Spirit, soul, and body complete until the day of Jesus Christ. So the Bible is very, very, very clear about that. So this lady, she's 16 years old, teenage girl, not even a lady yet. Teenage girl is having this problem happen to her and they are observing her. They had a Methodist priest go and try and pray. Didn't work. Had a Catholic priest come and pray. Wouldn't work. So the Methodists and the Catholics and the Presbyterians in the region, they wouldn't even go back because they got scared of it because, you know, going in with a crucifix and, uh, uh, you know, 
a crucifix and a Hail Mary rosary ain't going to cut it. And the devil will, uh, you know, demons can see when someone understands their authority and when someone does not understand their authority. Demons can, I mean, you look at it in Acts chapter 19, the seven sons of Sceva, they come and try and cast out a devil out of uh, a man. And they say, we, we tell you and adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out of this man. What did the demons do? Jesus we know, meaning we've been cast out before by Jesus. We, we got cast out by Jesus when he was on the earth and we just found another body. Paul we know, they were saying we got cast out by Paul too. We recognize the same authority Jesus had was the same authority Paul preached and Paul walked in. And we got cast, cast out by him. We had to seek another body. It was actually a really bad day for us. But who are you to tell us to leave? Because they, under, they understood. They can see right through their face. You can come in with a bold look and all that and, you know, we adjure you. But ultimately, a demon can sense when someone actually understands if they... Uh, the rooted dominion that they have in Christ Jesus or whether they don't. And what happened to that man? You know, Jesus cast out spirits with a word. Paul cast out spirits with a word. Didn't take long for him to deal with demon spirits. But then these ones, the, the demon in which, uh, that was in that man propelled the man towards them and the seven men were bruised, broken, beaten up and they left that room, left the house Wounded and naked. What was the difference? They mentioned the name of Jesus, but just mentioning the name of Jesus ain't going to cut it. It's the name of Jesus that, has a under, that is rooted in an, an understanding of the inherent power of God that is contained in that name. What is name? Name is just another word, if you study the original Greek, for authority. So when you're using the name of Jesus, you're saying I'm coming by the authority of Jesus as though Christ were standing in my stead. I deal and I, I, I deal with this thing. I cast it out. So the name of Jesus is pretty much saying I'm coming as Christ's representative. I'm coming as though Christ himself were coming to you. And the same demon powers that couldn't resist the power of Christ can't resist the power when a, a man or a woman comes in the understanding of that authority. Jesus confronted demon power. He didn't ignore it. And he was not afraid of it. And proper demonology will put in you, when you understand this, from the word of God. When you understand proper demonology. Listen to this. It's going to create in you a severe disrespect for the devil. And a severe awe for the power of God in the name of Jesus. Any teaching on demonology that puts fear in you, that gets you to worry about the devil, that gets you to wonder, maybe I'm demon-possessed, that gets you to like, kind of like scurry back, kind of gets you to like uh, shrink back and lose confidence, you can know that that teaching is not rooted in God's word. Because you study the greats, you study Derek Prince, you study Lester Summerall, you study... Uh, T.L. Osborne, and when they talked about demonology, you don't leave that meeting, or you don't put that, you know, when, if you watch them on YouTube, you don't click out of that YouTube uh, video and wondering, man, we really have our work cut out for us. It creates in you something where you're like, David, 
I know by my God, I can run through a troop. I can leap over a wall. There's a, like a, a severe disrespect that comes on you concerning the work of the devil. There is a, a dominant stance, a dominant position that rises up in you as you hear proper demonology preached. Any teaching that gets you to back down, gets you to, to, to drop your confidence, gets you to worry, gets you to get fearful, is not... Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Faith expels fear. If you're hearing the word preached and it's putting fear in you, it ain't proper teaching. And shut it down. Don't listen to a teaching like this and then turn someone else on that's going to tell you the opposite and get you, get you to worry about it, get you to, to, to almost carry an inferiority complex in dealing with the devil and then expect to live a life in victory. When proper teaching from the word comes into someone, it creates in them a, a, a dominant stance. It puts in you a fire in your eyes that you're just waiting for the next dumb devil to rise up so you can cast it out. I mean, you look at the life of Jesus. He wasn't going around. He wasn't going around worrying about the regions he was going into and telling his disciples, can you just go and just get a general feel of the area to see if there's a spirit of the... He would go in and just a foot hitting the region. Demons would come and bow their face at him and say, have you come to torment us before the time? Listen to this. Mark 1, 21. They went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished as he taught them as one having authority. They were astonished. They were built up. They were edified because he taught as one having authority and not as the scribes. So they read the same scriptures, but his teaching had authority and had faith in it. So it built people up and it it, people were gravitating towards his teaching. The Bible says the common folks heard him gladly. The Bible says when he taught, the power of the Lord was present to heal people. The Bible says as he taught, many came to him that had unclean spirits and he cast the spirits out with a word and healed the sick. Because it showed people, I don't have to put up with this. I can be free. Jesus, help me. And, and he deal with the problem. Because Jesus didn't just preach to preach and have you have hear a nice sermon. Jesus preached to, manif to, to bring in a manifestation of the power of God. And when the anointing manifests, it draws demons out. It draws satanic spirits out. And the same anointing that draws those things out is power to deal with them and cast them out. The same anointing that draws them out is the same anointing that casts them out. Jesus said, I cast out spirits by the Spirit of God. I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. I want you to write that in the comment section. The same anointing that draws demons out is the same power that casts them out. The same anointing that draws demons out is the same anointing that casts demons out. Demons out. So Jesus' anointing hits the place, and there's a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit who begins to cry out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us before the time? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. If you're just tuning in now, please, please share this broadcast. I'm, I'm going to get to that, Matt, Hannah, with what happened to Clarita Villanueva. 
What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, cried out with a loud voice, and he came out, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine or teaching is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him, and his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. So people were teaching in that synagogue. The demon didn't show up, didn't do anything, had no respect for their teaching. Jesus comes in, starts to teach, and that demon couldn't stay quiet, begins to cry out, have you come to destroy us? We know who you are. Please leave us alone. So demons actually don't want to get around. People that carry power, they try and avoid it at all costs because they know the moment power hits the scene, through the greatness of thy power, thine enemies submit themselves unto you. Psalm 66.3. So the greatness of God's power causes the enemy to submit. And when he submits, he has to surrender. And when he surrenders, he leaves. So that lady, Methodist, Clarita Villanueva, the Methodist couldn't do anything. The Presbyterians couldn't do anything. These guys, they, they, they tried it. They tried their Hail Mary. Nothing worked. Lester Shomrall is taking notes, listening to that radio story, talking about the vampire girl. She was in the Daily Mirror in the Philippines and in Australia. She was all around the newspapers because it was a phenomenon. And uh, Lester Shomrall is listening, and he just, he just says, Lord, I pray you'd help her. You know, like send someone. Lord spoke back to him and said, there's nobody in all the Philippines that can help her except for you because nobody knows what you know. Notice how it says, what new doctrine is this? Most people don't know this doctrine. For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits. So the doctrine builds up your authority to command. If you don't know the, the doctrine of what I'm talking about today, the biblical doctrine of casting out demons, demonology, and our authority over demon spirits, there won't be authority in, to deal with these things. But when you start to build up, you know the Bible says that uh, if a man fails in the day of adversity, his strength is too small. If you fail in casting out devils, it's because your strength in this doctrine, your strength and your understanding of the word concerning your dominion over devils is too small. So what's the cure? Build yourself up. Study. Read about people who, 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 who were used greatly. Read about. You want to grow in the anointing? Just study how Jesus did it and then do it. Study the words of Paul. And I'm going to get into it. Why we have authority over demons. Because it's important to know. It's not enough just to say I have dominion. You have to know why. Why are you saying I have dominion? Why, is, why can you say I have authority? You have to find out the, the epistles, the epistles are not a book of promises. You understand that? Paul did not write Ephesians and Philippians and Galatians as a book of promises saying, if you'll just believe God, these things will come to you. No, the, the epistles were actually written as legal documents showing you what now belongs to you because you've been born again into the family of God. When I got born into my family, I didn't have to ask my dad, can I have a room please in this house? And I slept outside until I had the courage to ask him. When I got born into my family, my father paid my food. My father gave me room and board. My father took good care of me. I, had a, I, have, a very, I have a very good parent. I have very good parents. They took good care of me. If I needed something, they bought it. If I wanted something, they got it for me. You know, I, I, I grew up in a family where 
what belonged to my parents belonged to me. I didn't ha have to ask them for what already belonged to me. I didn't have to ask them if I can use the TV. Hey, do you mind if I use... No, you can use... Because it's in the house. I'm part of the house. It belongs to me. The epistle shows you what belongs to the house of those that are members of the household of God. It shows you what's in the house. It shows you what's your, what your inheritance is. Colossians 1.12 says, Giving thanks unto the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So they're not things you have to ask God for. When the Bible says you've been delivered from the powers of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of, 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 of God's Son, a kingdom of light, you don't have to ask God, can you deliver me from the power of darkness? He has delivered you. It's past tense. Most people just need to go back to grade 2 English and learn past, present, and future tense verbs. And that'll clear out bad doctrine. So when the Bible says he hath made you to be seated together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, you don't have to ask God, Lord, could you please seat me in heavenly places in Christ Jesus? You are seated. You have to walk in the reality of it. So Lester Sumrall understood those things. That's why the Lord told them there's nobody in this whole realm, this whole uh, country of Philippines that can deal with this thing. Uh, only you can because of what you know. And he just, Lester Sumrall said, I'll just pray for her. He didn't want to go because he, he was so busy. He was so busy with what he was doing and trying to build a, a church that he didn't even go. He didn't want to go. And he just said, Lord, send someone else. The Lord told him, if you don't go, she will die and go to hell. And he actually, after that, still was praying. Uh, just, you know, he'd, help, he'd keep her in prayer. But every time he'd keep her in prayer, he said, I'd feel like, I'd feel like convicted of it because I knew that God didn't call me to keep her in prayer. God called me to go and deal with it and cast the devil out of her. So finally, he surrendered to the will of God. He went to the prison. It was Bilibid prison. It was like a mental institute slash prison. And they had her confined uh, in there. He had to sign a waiver to enter into Bilibid mental institute because, because uh, she, had, you know, she, <laughs> she was roughing up some people. And also, she had already told two people that tried to help her, you're going to die by Thursday. And those people would die. She'd like pronounce curses on them. So he had to sign a waiver. And he walks in. And he's got like, there's news media around him. There's news reporters around him. There's other uh, denominational leaders around him. Because they want to see if this guy's like going to actually get the work done. He walks in. The moment he walks in, she looks at him and says, and starts to curse at him starts to curse Jesus, starts to curse the blood of Jesus. And in English, she now take into account, this lady didn't understand English at all. She did not understand English one bit. And she starts to curse him in English. She only spoke Filipino. So how is it that all of a sudden, hold on, let me just... There you go. How is it that all of a sudden she's like fluent in English and she's speaking by like a manly groaning voice and she was a 16-year-old girl. Demon powers. So she tries to intimidate him but Lester Sumrall just started to rebuke that in Jesus' name. Now take into account he hadn't fasted. So he starts to, in Jesus' name, come out. Starts to take authority over the thing and the thing keeps speaking back. And um, at one point, she like kind of like 
like drops to the ground and it looks like she'd been delivered. But remember, demons are liars. And if they, if they uh, can make you think that they're gone, but they're not really gone, they'll do it because they want to they wanna fool you into thinking they're gone. And then at least they got you out of the way and they can continue on however many weeks until the next problem comes their way. The next Holy Ghost minister comes their way. So he hadn't fasted. The lady falls to the ground and it, it, the people are like, oh, she's delivered. She must be delivered. But Lester Summerall sensed in his spirit that she had not been delivered. So what did he do? He went back home. He said, I'm coming back tomorrow. I'm going to fast till tomorrow. This kind cometh not out but through prayer and fasting. If it takes long to cast the demon out, it's not, it, you're not doing it right. If it takes more than a few minutes, I'm, I, and I'm telling you, some of you might have heard differently, but I'm telling you my experience with demon spirit, and I've cast out demon spirits, I'm not talking from a position of theory only. I have cast out demon spirits in, in Canada, in the United States, and in other parts of the world. I, and I found them in every single area of the world to be equally weak and equally as submissive when the name of Jesus is, ushered, is, is uttered and when I've taken time to prepare in fasting and prayer. So he... He sensed that it was like three hours. He hadn't cast this thing out. He was sweating. And so he said, I'm going to fast and pray. He comes back the next day. Same thing happens. She starts to curse him by, uh, uh, curse Jesus, curse the blood of Jesus. And Lester Sumrall, just in three minutes, takes authority over that thing after having fasted and prayed. And that thing uh, left the, 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 the girl's body. And she said, I see them leaving. I see them leaving. And he said, where are they leaving by? And there was a little window, and they had left by the window. And uh, within 15 minutes, she had been restored back to sanity, clothed in her right mind, supernaturally restored, and looked like a regular, normal human girl. So what do you see by that? You see, number one, demon spirits are real. But number two, when you understand your power over them, it doesn't take this drawn-out, long deliverance session. I get people that write me all the time. I've gone through six deliverance sessions. I'm, I'm believing that my seventh is going to be... What? There's nothing like that in the, old, in the New Testament. There is, Paul went down and there was a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination that followed after him. After many days, he got vexed in his spirit. He turned to her and said, I adjure you by the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And immediately, the late, she was restored, she was healed, and she was delivered. I don't see that program of long, drawn out, flinging oil and sweaty, you know, sessions. R.W. Schambach was casting out a demon once. It was his first one he had ever encountered. He was in an A.A. Allen meeting. And A.A. Allen told him to go and deal with a lady that was demonized. And he had never cast out a demon before. So he was kind of like freaking out. So he goes to where she is and she starts to like, you know, growl and all that. And he spent like 25 minutes, 30 minutes, just in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out. In the name of, nothing was working. Because he was using a name, but he didn't really at that point in his ministry understand what that name meant. And all of a sudden, the Lord showed him, from, or revealed from, you know, brought up scriptures in his spirit of Satan's eternal defeat at the cross. That scripture I quoted in Colossians 2.14, that he has disarmed principalities and powers and made a public show of them openly. When, uh, when uh, R.W. Schambach had that scripture rise up from his spirit, he realized that he, he didn't have to contend with this demon. He didn't have to like begged the demon to leave. So what did he say? 
He said, you foul devil. He said, my elder brother Jesus cracked your head 2,000 years ago, and I'm enforcing that victory now. Come out. And instantly, took 30 minutes, once that scripture, that understanding of the word of God came in his heart. It was an instantaneous thing. I don't see, I do not see, I do not see any pattern of scripture where Jesus or any of the apostles or any disciple taking more than like three minutes in dealing with a demon. I don't see it. I don't see it. Luke 13, there's a woman in the synagogue who's, who's got a spirit of infirmity all up in her body and she's bent over and could not be made straight and suffered for over 18 years and was a religious person that came to church, came to the synagogue, had encountered uh, the teachings of the Pharisees of that day and was not helped. Jesus shows up on the scene and he calls her to himself and he says, woman, I'll loose you from that infirmity. And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. So it didn't take, it didn't take, her, didn't take her long. You look at it, in, I mean, listen to this. At Mark 1.32, at evening, when the sun had set, they brought unto him all that were sick and demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he didn't allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Immediate. Cast out many demons. He wasn't wasting. The Bible says he cast out the spirits with his word. If you think you have to go through these long deliverance sessions to be delivered, you're going, or to deliver others, you're going, as your faith is, so be it unto you. You're going to go through long deliverance sessions, but if you'll set your faith for immediate, because the Bible shows you an immediate order of things, then you'll have it. For as your faith is, so be it unto you. So number one, I'm, I'm going to go through five, five, uh, Points on casting out demons. Number one, recognize the reality of the spirit world. Ephesians 6 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities and powers, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. The Bible says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of satanic strongholds. So there are satanic strongholds. Daniel 9, Daniel's praying for an answer. His answer is withheld. His answer is delayed because the Bible says an angel came to him and told him the demon prince over the air of Persia withheld me from bringing to you the answer. But from the very first day, I was sent. But for 21 days, I was held up. But then God sent reinforcements. So the Bible does not ignore the reality of a spiritual world. It's very much real. One third of the angels fell with Satan. Revelation 12 says, the dragon with his tail took down one third of the stars of heaven. Stars are symbolic of angels. Those angels became demonic spirits. If you're not convinced <laughs> that there's the reality of the, of the spirit world, I'll tell you one more story. There was a lady who uh, was a, a, in Jamaica. Teal Osborne was doing a crusade there. And there was a lady that was bound. And her family knew she was bound. And uh, she ended up coming. They, they forced her, sorry. They didn't tell her where she was going because she didn't want to get delivered. But they, they forced her. They told her they were like going out to a restaurant or something. They put her in a back room somewhere and they had T.L. Osborne come into the room. And uh, they had asked him to, deliver, to, to, to do deliverance on this girl, on this lady. She was an older lady. She was like 50-something years old. The moment T.L. Osborne walked into the room, 
Now, they, the family didn't even tell her where she was going. The moment T.L. Osborne walked into the room, that lady looked at him and said, they told me I was going to meet a servant of the Most High God today. Wasn't talking about the family. It was demon spirits that knew what the family was plotting to do and conveyed the message to her. And they said, they told me that I would see a servant of the Most High God today. The moment that T.L. Osborne heard that, he knew that, you know, it wasn't like people being superstitious, that she didn't really have a demon. She was just a little bit like wacko. No, this one had a demon. So he said, I felt anger rise up from within. I felt uh, an indignation. That's another thing. If, if uh, when dealing with a demon spirit, you feel anger for the de demonic work that's being done in that person's life, that's a sure sign. A sure sign that that person really does want deliverance. When you feel to throw the person out, I felt that. I felt sometimes where there's been people manifest in a meeting and I felt to just throw them out. They're, they're, they're not ready. It's because they're just trying to disturb. Remember, the devil wants to disturb what God's doing in a meeting. The devil, I mean, the first thing, he, the reason why he manifested was to disturb Jesus' meeting that was in motion. And Jesus said, shut up and come out. He cut it out at the root. So if you sense in your spirit, like if you're a pastor or minister watching, that it, it kind of irritates you and it's annoying, that's probably a sign that the person doesn't want deliverance. And if they don't want deliverance, you can't really help them. This lady, she perceivably did not want deliverance, but I think something in her wanted, wanted to be delivered. So T.L. Osborne got angry against the thing. And he began to, to pray against it. He just, in one word. In the name of Jesus, come out. And the lady just fell as though dead, was raised back, and she ended up becoming a, like, a, like an, an asset to the kingdom after that. Her testimony went throughout the whole. Another thing I failed to mention was she had arthritis running through her body, that that demon spirit was actually uh, causing her body to suffer. You know, most one-third of the demons Jesus cast out, there was a physical, a physical manifestation to that demon being in that body. So like there was either a deaf, a deaf and dumb spirit. There was people that had a mute spirit. There were others that had blind spirits. So the demon being in that person, once the demon was dealt with, the body ended up getting healed. Some people, they come, they got weird symptoms of this and that, and they're sick and their body feels like drained. Once you deal with the sometime, I'm not saying every single time, but once you deal with the spirit, just like you can, you know, and, and not all of them are demon-possessed. There's a difference between oppression and possession. I know the Bible doesn't say the word possession. It says demon as, uh, what is it? What's the word? I wrote it down in my notes. Demonizamai. 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 Which is the Greek word to be controlled or manipulated or, or, or coerced by demons. I understand that there's no word for possessed in the Bible concerning uh, demons. However, however, there's a difference when the demon has full control of a person and they're full out. I'll say the word possessed. And when somebody is oppressed, oppressed means the spirit is upon a person. Doesn't necessarily mean they're fully controlled, but they're being influenced by or they're being taken advantage of. This lady that had a spirit of infirmity uh, in Luke chapter 13, she wasn't possessed with a devil, meaning it wasn't fully controlling her actions and all that. 
but she was being taken advantage of. She was being manipulated by. She was being influenced by this spirit of infirmity that was crippling her body. I felt many times in dealing with people that were sick that I wasn't dealing with a natural sickness. It wasn't just like, you know, somebody that was dealing with, uh, I don't know, like a headache some t or a migraine or, if, you know, cancer is a spirit. How do we know that? There's a life to the cancer. The doctors have said many times, if we can get rid of the life from that cancer, the cancer would naturally die out and wither away. So it's like the spirit of infirmity gives life and it causes the disease to grow. It causes the disease to ravage the human body. When you deal with the spirit, the disease withers out and dies out and will naturally just go. But you have to deal with the spirit. In the same vein, it, when the spirit of a man departs from his body, he's dead. That's what you call dying. And then the body goes back to dust. When you remove the spirit of infirmity from a, a person's body that's suffering with sickness, that disease will, will vanish to dust. It'll go away. But you have to deal with the, the root problem of the thing. When you deal with, uh, many times, when I deal with, most every time, when I deal with someone who has cancer, I, I rebuke the spirit of death and the spirit of infirmity that's giving life to the cancer, and I command it to die out. And it, it always works. It always works. And we've seen many people heal of cancer using that method because it's a proven method. Number one is understand that de the demon world and the spirit world are real. Number two, recognize our superiority over the devil. I talked about this. As long as people don't know about Satan's legal defeat, they'll remain hindered. And he can, he can operate unhindered. The moment you start to understand that he is an eternally defeated foe, that he can't rise from his ashes of defeat, he's done, he's done so, then uh, you'll carry a superiority complex over the devil. David Oedepo had a, a cousin that was stricken with a spirit of insanity and um, his family tried to deal with the thing and nothing worked, whatever. They tried to bring him to a psychologist. They tried to put medication in him. Nothing worked. And it, uh, he was so insane, he didn't stop speaking. At one point, he, had, he hadn't stopped speaking for five days straight, 24 hours a day, just continuously speaking, speaking in his sleep, speaking when his body was awake. He just didn't stop speaking. So they called Bishop Oedepo over and he said, put him in my car. And he said, let me see the devil that can stand one ride in my car. And by the time they got to the place that they were um, scheduled to go to, the, the boy was asleep and the demon was out and the insanity left and he was totally normal and restored back to his family. Why do you think that happened? Because Bishop Oedepo understands the power of light. Jesus said, after I go, you are the light of this world. And that light shines in darkness. Darkness can't stop it. Darkness can't comprehend it. Darkness can't do anything about it. The dominion of light over darkness is instant, unquestionable, and unhindered. So he put him in my car. He knew that that darkness couldn't stand the presence and power of the light that radiated from him. He didn't even have to say anything. By the time they got to the destination, the boy was, was normal again. 1 Samuel 5 talks about the Ark of the Covenant being placed next to Dagon, the Philistine god. And the Bible says the next day Dagon was fallen to its face and its, its hands and head was broken off. Nobody pushed 
pushed it over. Nobody came in the night and tilted it over. Just the power that was at work in the Ark of the Covenant, which was the house and the dwelling place of God's Spirit on the earth in those days, was more than enough to, to deal with that demon power that was at work in that idol. Well, know you not that the Bible says that the, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit dwells in you? You have to carry the awareness that you are a, a custodian of the presence of the Holy Spirit. That wherever you go, the Holy Spirit goes. You have to carry that, the awareness that what was in the Ark of the Covenant in those days is in me. In the same way that Dagon couldn't stand the power of the anointing in the Ark of the Covenant, demons can't stand the power of the anointing that's in me. Greater is he that lives in me than he that is in the world. Number three, you have to see the difference between oppression and possession. Demonizomai is to be controlled or under the influence of or manipulated by a demon. That's where people get the word possessed because they're fully under the control of a devil. The devil controls their speech. The devil controls their action. They've yielded themselves to a demonic spirit fully. Very few people are, are at that stage. Less people than people think. And it's not hard to discern them. It's really not hard to discern them. They growl, they cry out, they, 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 uh, they, they have different voices. It's, when someone's at that stage of demonization, it's not hard to discern them. But then there's another, I believe, there's, another, there's a stage of oppression. Oppression is when the devil, is, he kind of has like ropes on a man. He's trying to control. He's trying to influence. He's trying to take advantage of. Sickness is an oppression of the devil. Acts 10.38. The Bible says, No doubt you know of Jesus Christ of Nazareth who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So sickness is an oppression of the devil. I've taught on this at length in my healing uh, sermons that I have on, on YouTube, archived in our, in our um, playlist. Mental depression. I'm not saying you had a bad year and you're a bit sad now and you know, you're, you're oppressed of the No, you're not oppressed of the devil if you had a bad year, if you had a, lost, a loved one that was lost and a tragedy hit or whatever and you're sad and you feel depressed a bit. That's, that's like almost, you know, mourn with those who mourn. But if that depression never goes and 10 years from now you're still depressed and still lock yourself up in a room with dark lights and close the shades and you just sit down and watch Netflix till you pass out from sleep. There's a problem there. There's an oppression there. Some people can get worried or, or nervous in a natural, at a natural level in that, you know, they have a presentation next week, they're worried. That doesn't mean they're oppressed by a devil. But when that anxiety cripples you and you're paralyzed by fear and every waking moment you're battling thoughts of fear, thoughts of suicide, thoughts of failure, thoughts of defeat, and you haven't broke, and it's just a bombard your mind, then yes, there's an oppression of the devil at work. Which leads me to my next point. Can a Christian be what we call demon-possessed? No. A Christian cannot be demon-possessed because possession signifies ownership. And a demon cannot possess her own something or someone for whom Christ's blood paid for. By virtue of the blood of Jesus, you're now owned by God. So the devil cannot possess you if God already possesses you. So can a Christian be demon-possessed? No. 
Can a Christian be demonically oppressed? Yes, I've seen it many times. And the reason for it is A, ignorance. So people that are ignorant of healing and divine healing or people that reject the message of divine healing more often than not will suffer with a spirit of infirmity. They'll, have, they'll battle sickness all their life. They've rejected the message of divine healing and as such, any message you don't embrace and cherish and believe and receive for yourself from the Bible, you forfeit your right in partaking in that blessing that it promises. So people are, there are many, I, I know many, <laughs> shoot, I'd say like a third at least of the body of Christ at large is being taken advantage of by unseen forces to feel way, a way they shouldn't be feeling, to think thoughts they shouldn't be thinking, to carry sicknesses and disease that they shouldn't be carrying, and, uh, and to experience things in life they shouldn't be experiencing. That's right, Natasha. A lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. You see that. You see that. <laughs> I, I mean, I was in uh, Brantford, Ontario, and there was a lady that, uh, that came who was fit and ate well and exercised and everything. And she had type 2 diabetes. She, she didn't look overweight. I mean, she, she wasn't like skinny, but she didn't look like morbidly obese. She, she had type 2 diabetes and she had a, a regimen schedule for her eating, diet. Everything was like perfectly orchestrated for her to not have diabetes, but she continued to have diabetes. We cast that spirit of infirmity out and I went back two years later. No more diabetes, no more having a prick her finger, no more blood sugar problems, no more suffering in her pancreas. Everything was restored back to normal. That was a Christian, a believer, who suffered by a spirit of infirmity. Number four, how to identify demon spirits in others? How do you discern demon spirits in others? I was in Brantford, Ontario, same church I was at when I just, you know, speaking of this last story I just said, and I preached the gospel, and this lady got saved. They took her to a back room after, and I was just talking to people, and, uh, you know, praying with people at the altar and not all that, and the leadership of the church came up to me and said, there's a, a lady in the back room that got saved tonight, but she needs to be, uh, she, she's like, she's manifesting, and I thought, you know, I mean, I hear that all the time. This person has a demon. That person has a demon. And, and they don't really have demons. I've had parents bring their kids. My child has a demon. And you look at him and he's like, I don't know what they're talking about. They don't, you know, there's some people that really are superstitious. Not, I'm not the type of guy that calls everything a demon. I believe that there are people that are, are, are taken advantage of. I believe that there's people manipulated by demons. I don't believe everything in life is a demon. I don't believe everybody that's angry has a demon of anger. I believe if that anger is driving you to want to kill someone, then yeah, there might be something at work in there. But I don't believe that, I think that's most people, it's like their scapegoat because they don't want to put their flesh under. There's a lot of people who, they don't want to take responsibility in subduing their flesh, so they just, they just uh, pass it off to demons. 
oh, that person has a demon of lust. No, they should just put their flesh under. And the Bible says, flee youthful lust. So there's something that you must do to break free from flesh. There's something, some things in your flesh that until you take authority over and crucify, they're going to continue to manifest and grow. That doesn't necessarily mean there's a demon at work. On the flip side, when it's like intense and you can't put it, you know, someone who's driven to drugs, someone who's driven to alcohol, someone who's driven to pornography, someone who's driven to, 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 to want to cut themselves, that's not just, that's not natural. I can't say that's natural. It's not. It's a power at work driving them to do that. And then the power of the Holy Ghost in us drives those things off so that they don't have to be driven to do those things anymore. Um, this lady, I go in the back and immediately when I, how do you discern demons? I walk in and she looks at me and go, starts to growl. <sighs> this lady had never been to church before. Gets saved that day, goes to the back. She starts to growl. At least she came up to the altar. She growls at me. And begins to like, you know, she, she, she begins to look away from me. She wouldn't want to, she did not want to give eye contact with me. The reason why most demons don't want to give you eye contact is because they hate you and they don't want you to notice them and they don't want you to, uh, to drive them out. They want to, they want to stick to the body they're in. But Acts 28, when Paul made that fire and the serpent came out of the fire, Remember, the same fire that drove the serpent out, when Paul shook the serpent back off into the fire, that fire destroyed the serpent. So if the demon's manifesting and growling at you and not wanting to look at you, it shows you that you carry enough power to deal with that demon. And so she didn't want to look at me. And then they were like just around like, you know, trying to like counsel her out of it. And I just took authority after a while. I got fed up. And I went to her. I said, give me your hand. I grabbed her hand. And I, she was like a nice 65-year-old lady. I pulled her into me. And I said, do you want to be delivered? And she looked at me and like trying to battle past that demon. She said, yes. And I said, well, then in the name of Jesus, I grabbed her head by the authority of the name of Jesus that was vest, invested in me by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I set you free. And immediately she fell like her neck to the side. And it looked like she had died. And I started to walk around and just lifted up my hands. I knew the demon had left. But I was also like, it, I think this was like one of my first times doing this. And I was also like, man, I, ho I hope I didn't just, because I yelled at her. I hope I didn't just give her a heart attack and she died. So I'm like lifting my hands and just thanking the Lord. I, and then all of a sudden, by the way, I failed to mention, she was in like one of those walkers. You know those like walkers that you can sit down in? So she had immobility in her legs. She had a hard time walking. Uh, and she would like kind of crouch over and wherever she'd walk, she'd use the walker. About two minutes later, she comes out of that like trance. And she gets up, without anyone telling her, gets up off out of her walker and her like makeshift wheelchair and begins to like, like her eyes change color. Her eyes look different. You knew that like there was a different person, that whatever was on her came off her. And I told her, say Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And she said, Jesus is Lord. She was like having a hard time. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And she started to get happy. Her eyes lit up. I laid my hands on her. And I said, in the name of Jesus, be filled with the Holy Ghost. Because an evil spirit leaves a person, goes through dry places seeking rest, and decides to come back, seeing the house is empty, and takes seven more uh, spirits, more wicked than they, and enters into the house. And the latter state of that house is worse than the, the former. So I, I wanted to, you know, whenever you get someone delivered, make sure you get them filled with the Holy Ghost so that they don't have to fall back into that state of hopelessness and despair. So I lay my hands on her, be filled with the Holy Ghost. She starts speaking in other tongues and lifting her hands, praising God, saying, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, I find out a month later, she, she didn't just get restored. She didn't just get delivered. She was running. I, don't, I, I think she might still be to this day. I, I, I haven't been in contact with that church. But she was a month later running because she had a nice voice she was running music for the seniors group at the church on wednesday mornings fully delivered didn't go back to the wheelchair supernaturally strong when the demon left how did i identify it well it was very easy wouldn't want to look at me and started to growl at me once that demon was out of the way everything else that demon brought on that human life ended up bowing off and and she was totally restored hallelujah So I'll finish with this. How do you cast out a demon? Very simple. I'm not, I'm not even going to prolong this any longer. It's very simple. It's a two-step process. Three-step process, I would say. One, live holy. Live holy. Be holy even as I am holy, God said. If you're not holy, you'll be laugh, a laughing stock in hell. If you try and cast out a devil and you're living a sinful life, you'll get your hands broken. And, and uh, <laughs> it ain't going to turn out nice. Number two, so live holy, number one. Number two, study to show yourself approved from the Word of God. Understand your position from redemption. that You've been delivered from the powers of darkness and you've been translated into the kingdom of, uh, kingdom of God. That you've been made to be seated in heavenly places Number three, you've been born from above, and that which is from above is above all. Number four, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit dwells in you. Number five, you've been grafted into Jesus Christ, and the same DNA, the same power that, that is in Christ now flows through you, that as He is, so are we in this world, that you are the representative of Christ everywhere you go. Where your two feet stand, Christ stands, because Christ liveth in me. Number two, study. Build yourself up on that knowledge. Get intoxicated on what the Word of God says about you. And it'll put a, 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 a superiority complex in you over the work of the devil so that any time he starts to manifest, you're not going to get intimidated and shrink back, but faith and violent faith and anger will rise against him to put him in his place and see that he leaves. And then number three is you must use the name of Jesus. I'm going to read this, Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Because of this, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the mention of the name of Jesus, at the mention, notice how it doesn't say at the pleading or at the begging or at the recurring Mention of, no, just at the mention. That name, Jesus knew full well what it meant when he said, if you'll demand anything in my name, I'll enforce it from heaven. When he told you that, he knew exactly what it meant. He knew exactly 
what his responsibility would be if a believer full of faith would take that name on their humble lips and speak it out. He knew what, he knew what it meant and he's been ready since that moment he spoke it to confirm and release his power at the mention of that name. At the mention of the name, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of things on earth, and of those things under the earth. Meaning that name carries authority in the heavenly realm, on the earthly realm, and in all of hell. At the mention of the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. You don't have to contend with them. You don't have to beg them. You don't have to fling oil for three hours in a back room somewhere. You just have to understand what the name means and then speak it from lips of faith. And I don't care what anybody says. No, it's more than that. It's, it's not as simple as they make it out to be. <laughs> I've cast out demons many times and I've never found it harder than just speaking the name. Matter of fact, when the devil didn't go on, on the first mention of that name, you know what I do? I quote Jude. Listen to what Jude said. Jude said this. And the angels, speaking of the demons, who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. He reserved... In, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So any demon that doesn't answer me on the first time when I speak the name of Jesus, I always quote that verse. And I've never found a demon strong enough to not back off from that verse. That the demons that didn't obey the command of God, God's not waiting for them to be bound finally at the end of the age. He already has bound them and they are being held under bondage under chains of darkness, awaiting the judgment of that great day. They're like, they have like a judgment before the ultimate judgment. They've been bound under judgment, in chains of darkness, in an abyss. And so I tell the demon, if it doesn't leave on the first one, it's Jude verse 2 or verse 3, I think it is. Uh, no, sorry, it's not Jude 3. It's Jude verse 6. I tell that thing. If you don't leave now, do you think that you'll escape that same judgment from Jude 5? And you find out they'd rather at least be out of the human and roaming somewhere else, somewhere in the wilderness trying to find another body, than have to be bound in chains of darkness forever. And then they, they pretty much can't do anything after that. So in just mentioning those three things, and then that fourth bonus, Jude verse 5, I've never, never had to wrestle a demon. I've never had a demon, you know, the moment they speak to me, I tell them to shut up. I don't talk to demons. I don't engage in dialogue with demons. I don't care if you're, first of all, even if the demon says I'm a spirit of lust, it's a lying demon. He's, they're of their father, the devil, and their father, the devil, is a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning. They won't even tell you what they really are. They'll lie most of the time. Sometimes they'll tell you, but most of the time they lie. So what do I care? What do I care if you're a spirit of lust or a spirit of, uh, uh, of adultery or a spirit 
of immorality or a spirit of anger or a spirit of murder. I don't care what you are. You're coming out in the name of Jesus Christ. I hope today's broadcast helped you in equipping you a little more on, uh, you know, in this area of casting out demons. I hope it puts a simplicity in your heart that it doesn't have to be, well, I, man, I just wish I can go and be taught from that deliverance minister and this deliverance minister, you know, they know so much. It, it's really simple. It's so simple that without even the epistles being written, Philip in Acts 8 was casting out demons. He didn't even have the epistles, so he didn't even know what we know. They, haven't ha they hadn't had that level of revelation in that time. And Philip, just by preaching Christ, just by getting people saved and then talking about uh, the power of Christ, was setting people free. It's really not that hard. Just preaching the name. Just preaching the name. The Bible says just the handkerchief that came off Paul was going to those that had demon spirits. And the demons came out and the sick were healed. Just his handkerchief. The residue of the anointing on, on Paul was enough to blow off any, any demon. So if that's the residue of the anointing, how much more the actual anointing in you should you be able now to rise up? And enough is enough. I, I'm, 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 I'm frustrated with the amount of people that I need deliverance. I need to. There should be a point where you stop needing deliverance and you move into dominion and you move into your blood-bought inheritance in Christ. You don't see Paul in the epistle saying, you know, keep me in prayer. I still need deliverance even. No, when I got saved, I was delivered. The Bible says they shall call upon the name of the Lord and all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Shall be delivered. Delivered means so-so, the Greek word for wholeness, free, liberty, healing, preservation, soundness of health, and salvation. There's nothing the devil's done to you that God won't undo. That God can't undo. That the name of Jesus can't undo. I pray, Father, right now, for everyone that's watching right now, for those that are tormented by spirits, those that are being manipulated or taken advantage of by demon spirits, I ask you right now, by the power of the name of Jesus Christ, that there be a release that happens right now. That as the blood of Jesus has been shed over their home, over their bodies, over their spirits, and over their souls, let anything that represents destruction be repealed. In Jesus' name, I command everyone watching right now to be free, to be liberated. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet, command your soul to be free from tormenting devils. Devils of depression, devils of anxiety, oppression of anxiety, spirits of insanity. In the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the gospel, I set you free now. Rise up in your freedom. Begin to declare you're free from faith. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you're watching now and you've never given your life to Jesus, the step to deliverance starts with this. You'll find out when you give your life to Jesus and Jesus comes into your heart, there's nothing that can stand His presence. There's nothing 
that can stand His presence. When God arises, His enemies are scattered. When God rises in your heart because you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, every enemy of your life gets scattered. When, G when Peter, when Philip, when John and James would preach the gospel, the Bible says, and demons came out of many that were possessed. Just the gospel, receiving the gospel is more than... Don't ever adapt a Jesus plus mentality. Well, I know the gospel is good and all, but you know, there's... It's the gospel. The gospel is good news to the poor. Heals the brokenhearted. Sets free them that are in captivity. Proclaims release to them that are in bondage. And proclaims the favorable year of the Lord. And to those, Isaiah 61 says, those that are in bondage, uh, to those that are in prison doors or prison captivity, the gospel announces their release from prison captivity. And demonic oppression and demonic... Demonization, all that is demonic captivity. It's prison, it's a, an imprisonment by hell to keep you from walking in freedom. When the gospel comes in, those, those doors come open and you walk free. If you've never given your life to Jesus, do it right now. Pray this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the blood of Jesus. I receive the finished work of Jesus Christ. I believe you raised him from the dead. And I confess him as Lord over my life. Set me free. Spirit, soul, and body. I give you my life. Fill me with your spirit. And I'll never be the same. I'm a new creature. The old has passed away. Everything becomes new. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to get in contact with me. SalvationNow.ca the first link that pops up is, I just got saved. Fill it out. Get that information to me. There's a video at the end of the page. It's four basic things every Christian must do. It's going to greatly help you and assist you in uh, this new walk with Christ. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.